Book One, Chapter Five, Part Two of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The prolonged rattle of the shingler's hammers upon the roof of the big barn attracted him and crossing over between the ranch house and the artesian well he stood for some time absorbed in the contemplation of the vast building amused and interested with the confusion of sounds the clatter of hammers the cadenced scrape of saws and the rhythmic shuffle of planes that issued from the gang of carpenters who were at that moment putting the finishing touches upon the roof and rows of stalls a boy and two men were busy hanging the great sliding door at the south end while the painters, come down from Bonneville early that morning, were engaged in adjusting the spray and force engine, by means of which Annixter had insisted upon painting the vast surfaces of the barn, condemning the use of brushes and pots for such work as old-fashioned and out of date. He called to one of the foremen to ask when the barn would be entirely finished, and was told that at the end of the week the hay and stock could be installed. "'And a precious long time you've been at it, too,' Annixter declared. "'Well, you know the rain. Oh, rot the rain. I work in the rain. You and your unions make me sick. But, Mr. Annixter, we couldn't have begun painting in the rain. The job would have been spoiled.' "'Oh, yes, spoiled. That's all very well. Maybe it would, and then again, maybe it wouldn't.' But when the foreman had left him, Annixter could not forbear a growl of satisfaction— it could not be denied that the barn was superb, monumental even. Almost any one of the other barns in the county could be swung birdcage fashion inside of it, with room to spare. In every sense the barn was precisely what Annixter had hoped of it. In his pleasure over the success of his idea, even Hilma for the moment was forgotten. "'And now,' murmured Annixter, "'I'll give that dance in it. I'll make him sit up. It occurred to him that he had better set about sending out the invitations for the affair. He was puzzled to decide just how the thing should be managed, and resolved that it might be as well to consult Magnus and Mrs. Derrick. "'I want to talk of this telegram of the goats with Magnus anyhow,' he said to himself reflectively. "'And there's things I got to do in Bonneville before the end of the month.' He turned about on his heel with a last look at the barn, and set off toward the stable. He had decided to have his horse saddled and ride over to Bonneville by way of Los Muertos. He would make a day of it, would see Magnus, Harron, old Broderson, and some of the businessmen in Bonneville. A few moments later he rode out of the barn and the stable-yard, a fresh cigar between his teeth, his hat slanted over his face against the rays of the sun as yet low in the east. He crossed the irrigating ditch and gained the trail. The shortcut over into Los Muertos, by way of Hoovens. It led south and west into the low ground overgrown by gray-green willows by Broderson Creek, at this time of the rainy season a stream of considerable volume, farther on dripping sharply to pass underneath the long trestle of the railroad. On the other side of the right-of-way, Annixter was obliged to open the gate in Derrick's line fence. He managed this without dismounting, swearing at the horse the while, and spurring him continually. But once inside the gate he cantered forward briskly. This part of Los Muertos was Hooven's holding, some five hundred acres, enclosed between the irrigating ditch and Broderson Creek, and half the way across Annixter came up with Hooven himself, 
busily at work replacing a broken washer in his cedar. Upon one of the horses hitched to the machine, her hands gripped tightly upon the harness of the collar, Hilda, his little daughter, with her small hobnailed boots and boys' canvas overalls, sat, exalted and petrified with ecstasy and excitement, her eyes wide-opened, her hair in a tangle. "'Oh, Bismarck,' said Annixter, drawing up beside him, "'what are you doing here? I thought the governor was going to manage without his tenants this year.' "'Ach, Mr. Annixter,' cried the other, straightening up. "'Ach, that's you, huh?' Ah, you, you bet uh, he don't manage without me. <laughs> me, I gotta stay. I, I talk the straight talk with the governor. I fix him. Ah, you bet. Seven years I have been the ranch guest out. Yes, sir. Every other son of a gun be the place get uh, to such but me, huh? <laughs> what do you think from those things? I think that's a crazy-looking monkey wrench you've got there, observed Annixter, glancing at the instrument in Hooven's hand. Oh, that range, returned Hooven. So, well, I tell you this thing now where I got him. Say, you see that range? That's not American wrench at all. I got him a gravelot the day we licked the stuffing out the French. <laughs> you bet. Me, I belong to the Württemberg uh, regiment uh, that they used to support the battery on the Brinster Hohenlohe. All of the day we lay down by the stomach in the field behind the battery, and the shells from the French cannon have exploded. <laughs> I think every shell explodes by the backside of my neck, and that go on the whole day, not a mouse, not in but the French shell. Boom, 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 and the smoke and moons are better that go off slow, steady, used like the clock. Eins, zwei, boom, eins, zwei, boom. Used like the clock. Offer and offer again all in the day. Then, when the night come, they say we have great victory made. I don't know. <laughs> what do I see on the battle? Nothing. <laughs> then we get up and march and march all in night. And the morgen, we hear those cannon again. Hell off at the way. Far off. I don't know where, but uh, never mind. Very quick. Oh, God. His face flamed scarlet. Ach, the liver got very soon. There was the Kaiser close by, und Fritz, unser Fritz. By God, then I go crazy. And yell, ach, you bet the whole regiment. Ach, the Kaiser, ach, the Vaterland. And the tears come to their eyes, I don't know, because why? And the men's cry and shake the hand, and the whole regiment march off like that. Very proud. Break cut the head up high and sing the Vatan rhyme. <laughs> that was Gravelot. And the monkey wrench. <laughs> I pick him up when the battery go. The cannoneers have forgotten leave him. I uh, carry him in the sack. I think I use him when I get home in the business. I was maker of wagons in uh, Karlsruhe, and I never get home again. When the war have got over, I go back to Ulm and get married. And then I get them uh, sick from the army. <laughs> when I get the release, I clear out you bet. I come to America. First New York, then Milwaukee, then uh, Springfield, uh, Illinois, then uh, California. And here I stay. 
and the fatherland don't uh, ever want to go back well i tell you those things mr annexter always i think a lot of germany under kaiser and never i forget gravelot but uh, say i tell you those things there the wife is and the kinder the little girl hilda there is the waterland hmm? america that's my country now and there he pointed behind him to the house under the mammoth oak tree on the lower road that's my home that's good enough waterland for me annixter gathered up the reins about to go on so you like america do you bismarck he said who do you vote for america i don't know returned the other insistently that's my home yonder that's my waterland Olive and the shermans used like that germany that's hell off some fine place sure but uh, the waterland is where the home and the wife and the kinder is hmm? yeah yeah would <laughs> ach no me i never would i i don't bother the head me those things i i make the wheat grow and get the bread for my wife and the hilda that's all that's me <laughs> that's bismarck good-bye commented annixter moving off hooven the washer replaced turned to his work again starting up the horses the cedar advanced whirring ach hilda little girl he cried hold tight by the strap on hey mule hook get up you annixter cantered on in a few moments he had crossed broderson creek and had entered upon the home ranch of los muertos ahead of him but so far off that the greater portion of its bulk was below the horizon he could see the derricks home a roof or two between the dull grass of cypress and eucalyptus nothing else was in sight the brown earth smooth unbroken was as a limitless mud-colored ocean the silence was profound then at length annixter's searching eye made out a blur on the horizon to the northward the blur concentrated itself to a speck the speck grew by steady degrees to a spot, slowly moving, a note of dull color, barely darker than the land, but an inky black silhouette as it topped a low rise of ground and stood for a moment outlined against the pale blue of the sky. Annixter turned his horse from the road and rode across the ranch land to meet this new object of interest. As the spot grew larger, it resolved itself into constituents, a collection of units, its shape grew irregular fragmentary a disintegrated nebulous confusion advanced toward annixter preceded as he discovered on nearer approach by a medley of faint sounds now it was no longer a spot but a column a column that moved accompanied by spots as annixter lessened the distance these spots resolved themselves into buggies or men on horseback that kept pace with the advancing column there were horses in the column itself. At first glance it appeared as if there were nothing else, a riderless squadron tramping steadily over the upturned plowland of the ranch. But it drew nearer. The horses were in lines, six abreast, harnessed to machines. The noise increased to find itself. There was a shout or two. Occasionally a horse blew through his nostrils with a prolonged vibrating snort. The click and clink of metal work was incessant, the machines throwing off a continual rattle of wheels and cogs and clashing springs. The column approached nearer, was close at hand. 
the noises mingled to a subdued uproar, a bewildering confusion. The impact of innumerable hoofs was a veritable rumble. Machine after machine appeared, and Annixter, drawing to one side, remained for nearly ten minutes watching and interested, while, like an array of chariots, clattering, jostling, creaking, clashing, an interminable procession, machine succeeding machine, six-horse team succeeding six-horse team, bustling, hurried. Magnus Derrick's thirty-three grain drills, each with its eight hoes, went clamoring past like an advance of military, seeding the ten thousand acres of the great ranch, fecundating the living soil implanting deep in the dark womb of the earth the germ of life, the sustenance of a whole world, the food of an entire people. When the drills had passed, Annixter turned and rode back to the lower road, over the land now thick with seed. He did not wonder that the seeding on Los Muertos seemed to be hastily conducted. Magnus and Harran Derrick had not yet been able to make up the time lost at the beginning of the season when they had waited so long for the ploughs to arrive. They had been behindhand all the time. On Annixter's ranch, the land had not only been harrowed as well as seeded, but in some cases cross-harrowed as well. The labor of putting in the vast crop was over. Now there was nothing to do but wait, and while the seed silently germinated, nothing to do but watch for the wheat to come up. When Annixter reached the ranch house of Los Muertos under the shade of the cypress and eucalyptus trees, he found Mrs. Derrick on the porch, seated in a long wicker chair. She had been washing her hair, and the light brown locks that yet retained so much of their brightness were carefully spread in the sun over the back of her chair. Annixter could not but remark that, spite of her more than fifty years, Annie Derrick was yet rather pretty. Her eyes were still those of a young girl, just touched with an uncertain expression of innocence and inquiry, but as her glance fell upon him, he found that that expression changed to one of uneasiness, of distrust, almost of aversion. The night before this, after Magnus and his wife had gone to bed, they had lain awake for hours, staring up into the dark, talking, talking. Magnus had not long been able to keep from his wife the news of the coalition that was forming against the railroad nor the fact that this coalition was determined to gain its ends by any means at its command. He had told her of Osterman's scheme of a fraudulent election to seat a board of railroad commissioners who would be nominees of the farming interests. Magnus and his wife had talked the matter over and over again, and the same discussion, begun immediately after supper the evening before, had lasted till far into the night. At once Annie Derrick had been seized with a sudden terror lest Magnus, after all, should allow himself to be persuaded, should yield to the pressure that was every day growing stronger. None better than she knew the iron integrity of her husband's character. None better than she remembered how his dearest ambition, that of political preferment, had been thwarted by his refusal to truckle, to connive, to compromise with his ideas of right. Now, at last, there seemed to be a change. Long-continued oppression, petty tyranny, injustice, and extortion had driven him to exasperation. S. Behrman's insults still rankled. He seemed nearly ready to countenance Osterman's scheme. 
the very fact that he was willing to talk of it to her so often and at such great length was proof positive that it occupied his mind the pity of it the tragedy of it he magnus the governor who had been so staunch so rigidly upright so loyal to his convictions so bitter in his denunciation of the new politics so scathing in his attacks on bribery and corruption in high places was it possible that now at last he could be brought to withhold his condemnation of the devious intrigues of the unscrupulous going on there under his very eyes that magnus should not command harran to refrain from all intercourse with the conspirators had been a matter of vast surprise to mrs derrick time was when magnus would have forbidden his son to so much as recognize a dishonorable man but besides all this derrick's wife trembled at the thought of her husband and son engaging in so desperate a grapple with the railroad that great monster iron-hearted relentless infinitely powerful always it had issued triumphant from the fight always s behrman the corporation's champion remained upon the field as victor placid unperturbed unassailable but now a more terrible struggle than any hitherto loomed menacing over the rim of the future money was to be spent like water personal reputations were to be hazarded in the issue failure meant ruin in all directions financial ruin moral ruin ruin of prestige ruin of character success to her mind was almost impossible annie derrick feared the railroad at night when everything else was still the distant roar of passing trains echoed across los muertos from guadalajara from bonneville or from the long trestle straight into her heart at such moments she saw very plainly the galloping terror of steam and steel with its single eye cyclopean red shooting from horizon to horizon symbol of a vast power huge and terrible the leviathan with tentacles of steel to oppose which meant to be ground to instant destruction beneath the clashing wheels no it was better to submit to resign oneself to the inevitable she obliterated herself shrinking from the harshness of the world striving with vain hands to draw her husband back to her just before annixter's arrival she had been sitting thoughtful in her long chair an open volume of poems turned down upon her lap her glance losing itself in the immensity of los muertos that from the edge of the lawn close by unrolled itself gigantic toward the far southern horizon wrinkled and serrated after the season's ploughing the earth hitherto gray with dust was now upturned and brown as far as the eye could reach it was empty of all life bare mournful absolutely still and as she looked there seemed to be her morbid imagination diseased and disturbed with long brooding sick with the monotony of repeated sensation to be engaged from all this immensity a sense of vast oppression formless disquieting the terror of sheer bigness grew slowly in her mind loneliness beyond words gradually enveloped her she was lost in all these limitless reaches of space had she been abandoned in mid-ocean in an open boat her terror could hardly have been greater she felt vividly that certain uncongeniality which when all is said forever remains between humanity and the earth which supports it 
she recognized the colossal indifference of nature, not hostile, even kindly and friendly, so long as the human ant swarm was submissive, working with it, hurrying along at its side in the mysterious march of the centuries. Let, however, the insect rebel, strive to make head against the power of this nature, and at once it became relentless, a gigantic engine, a vast power, huge, terrible, a leviathan with a heart of steel, knowing no compunction, no forgiveness, no tolerance, crushing out the human atom with sound less calm, the agony of destruction sending never a jar, never the faintest tremor through all that prodigious mechanism of wheels and cogs. Such thoughts as these did not take shape distinctly in her mind. She could not have told herself exactly what it was that disquieted her. She only received the vague sensation of these things, as it were a breath of wind upon her face confused, troublous, an indefinite sense of hostility in the air. End of Book One, Chapter Five, Part Two